When that storm comes, don't run for cover when that storm comes. Don't run for cover when that storm comes. Don't run for cover. Cause there ain't no use in running when that rain falls. Let it wash away when that rain falls. Let it wash away when that rain falls. Let it wash away. Let it wash away that falling rain, the tears and the trouble. When those lights flash, you hear that thunder roar. When those lights flash, you hear that thunder roar. Director of Communications here at Middle Church, and on behalf of Jackie Lewis, who's our senior minister, and the consistory, welcome to Middle Church. Jackie is preaching this morning in North Carolina at a big festival called Wild Goose, um, and she will she'll be back later today. Um, we are excited that in this period, um, Derek Harkins, who is a vice president at Union Theological Ceremony, is seminary, is. Um, <laughs> volunteering his time and leading a powerful Bible study in the middle. 
So you can join next week in the middle as he focuses on Acts, and it's talking about how we're building community. This coming Wednesday, there's going to be a family picnic in Tompkins Square Park. If you'd like to join Marta, you can RSVP to Marta or talk to her today. And it's like in a secret garden portion of Tompkins Square Park. Like, I did not know this place existed, so she will send you instructions and directions. This Wednesday, it's a potluck starting at 6 o'clock. So we hope you can join us if you'd like to develop community in that way. Um, and then in the month of August and Labor Day weekend, we are going to have one worship. So starting August 5th through Labor Day Sunday, we will be worshiping together at 10.30 in the morning. And then after Labor Day weekend, we'll go back to the same worships at the same time. Um, do we have any visitors here this morning? Anyone who is visiting Middle for the first time? Hey, do you want to say where you're visiting from? Nashville, Tennessee. Well, thanks for visiting. Anyone else? Yeah. Wisconsin. Welcome. <laughs> Anne's from Wisconsin. Yeah, where are you visiting from? Maryland. Wow, beautiful. And if you don't happen to be at Middle next week, you can live stream us at 11.45 and in August at 10.30 or find us all online as well, YouTube channel. Any other first-time visitors? Yeah. Bushwick? We love Bushwick. Love Brooklyn. A lot of Brooklynites in the house. Where? Oh, wonderful. Thank you. And I know Rob might have some guests. Rob, would you like to... Your Rob's yeah. parents are in the house. And Rob has an announcement before we worship together. <laughs> Good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, wonderful to see you this morning. My name is Rob Stevens. I'm the uh, Minister of Congregational Life. And this is uh, my wonderful spouse, Hershey Millette Stevens, the Reverend. Uh, for those who saw the newsletter, we had some exciting news uh, this summer that Hershey got a job at St. John's Norwood, which is in Bethesda, Maryland. And uh, though I will, I'll be living in both places this fall, uh, my bed is moving at the end of the July along with Hershey. Um, <laughs> And, but I will uh, be going back and forth uh, uh, through the fall um, from Bethesda to here. Uh, so first one, just a joyous um, celebration of this job. I, uh, any of the sermon that's good uh, today or any time I preach, you can thank Hershey um, and blame all the rest on me. Uh, but I'm just so excited to see uh, her ministry grow uh, down there. Mm -hmm. um, so at this time, let us stand and uh, sing our first hymn, Wade in the Water. Good morning, Mel. You ready to do a little Wade in the Water? Okay, let's do a little waiting.
try that chorus just once on your own? Wait in the water, wait in the water, children, wait in the water. God's going to water. And this time, if you can do harmony, do harmony. <laughs> if, if, and watch what happens. And. Please remain, please remain standing for the prayer of thanksgiving. God of many names, we thank you for your spontaneity and your right nowness. that right now you are present. We thank you for listening to one another and singing together so that we know that we are a community in our core. And we need the gifts of harmony and the gifts of everything else. We thank you for Harriet Tubman, who used this song, Wade in the Water, as a sign for escaping slaves to get off of the trail and into the waters so that they could not be smelled by slave catchers and their dogs. And you continually create ways of safety and new beginnings where we might not expect them, like you did in those waters. Thank you that you give us the gift of water and that we are invited to wade in your waters. Amen. Really saying 
watch them grow They learn much more than I'll ever know And I think to myself What a wonderful world And I think to myself What a wonderful world. Thank you, Kaede. If my friends want to join me, it is time for the message for all ages. Would you like to help me spread out our blanket? Young, young at heart are joining me. I see Violet and Samantha. I see some young friends who are coloring, but I would love them up here to have their perspective and thoughts as well. We have room for you on the blanket. Tommy and Dominic, we are ready for you, young friends. There's still room for you up here. <gasps> Hello! Hi, come on up. So right after the message for all ages each week, we do a prayer. Hi, you can sit down right here. We do a prayer, and that prayer is called the prayers of the people. The prayers of the people. You find in your spot? And I have a little reminder of how we can approach the prayers of the people. When you look around the sanctuary, you see people in all different postures or positions of prayer. One of them, you might see people put their hands together like this. Let me see you do that. Can you put your hands together and make like, sometimes have you ever seen people pray like this before? Yeah, yeah, me too. Sometimes like this? Yeah, this is, this is the method I'm gonna talk about today. So this reminder, we have a different idea or person connected to each finger, and I need your help for ideas of who we can pray for. So the first one is your thumb, and it's the finger closest to you. So those are the people that you're closest to that we're gonna pray for first. Who might you say, I wanna pray for that person? Yes. My friends. Your friends, I love it. Anyone else that's closest to you? Mm-hmm. My mommy and daddy. I love that, Samantha. Thank you. Okay, we got parents and friends right here. Next, your pointer finger is people who point you in the right direction. It could be an instructor or a teacher or a pastor. My medical doctor. Your medical doctor. Your medical doctor is helping you out extra right now, huh, Tommy? My teacher. Your teacher. I love it. Medical doctor and teacher we got for our pointer fingers. The middle finger, that is people who are in leadership, sometimes in our government. Yep. Our adults out there are catching on. Who, who might you pray for? Or could it even be laws that you want to change? Uh, my sister. Your sister? Yeah. I love that. I'm going to keep your sister in the thumb spot. But she might be a leader, too. Maybe your sister's a future senator or president. 
Obama. Obama. Our young people have not forgotten. Okay. So we're praying for President Obama right here. Yes? My park. Your park. Your park is like a special place that the community has to come together. I like that one. And we have our We Care friends with us too. Hi, guys. We're doing a prayer together. So you can keep your hands like this. And we are on to our ring finger. This finger, did you know, it is sometimes called the weakest finger. It's not as strong as the other ones. So here I want to pray for people who are sick or people who need help. Yes. Tommy. You want to pray for your brother with the broken arm. We got the medical doctor. We got the cast. Someone who needs help. Who else do we want to pray for that needs help? I got hurt one time on my, on my pinky. You got your pinky hurt? Well, the pinky's coming next, so stay with me, Leslie. Um, anyone else? I'm going to have Miss Lizzie help us on this one. Anybody who's hungry or doesn't have a place to sleep? Yeah. You guys are really good. You remind me almost every week about folks who are hungry or who don't have a home right now. So we're going to pray for them there. And last is the pinky, like I said. What do you want to pray for yourself? What's a prayer you have for yourself today? Okay. Yes. My baby brother. Your baby brother. That's so nice. Okay. Um, my stuffed animals. Your stuffed animals. All our furry friends. Do you have one for me, Carlo? Dominic. Oh, your brother. Okay, see, we got lots of family love. Let's pray. Sometimes we link up our hands at the end, but today we're just going to sit. We're going to keep our finger reminders in our head and do all of our own prayers of the people together. Dear God, we pray for those closest to us. Like our friends and our parents. We pray for those who are pointing us in the right direction. Like our medical doctor or teacher. We pray for those in leadership. Like President Obama. And our community places like parks. We pray for those who might be hurting right now. Like Tommy, like Tommy, or folks who are hungry or don't have a home. And we pray for ourselves that you help us become people who help. Amen. So we use our hands to pray, we use our hands to help. Maybe these fingers are a reminder not only of who to pray for but also who you might want to check in with, who you might want to call or write a note to or visit or lend a hand to. That is my challenge this week. And maybe you can even teach the adults a thing or two about prayers of the people. Let's sing Sihamba and return to our seats.
Marta was sharing with the children and with all of us, it made me think of one of those old standard hymns that, especially in the Baptist tradition, we sing often. What a privilege it is to bring everything to God in prayer. How powerful a moment is like this when we can come to God knowing that God is already in our midst. God is receptive to us and we have the privilege of being receptive to God's presence and power. Let's join our hearts and our spirits in a moment in a time of silence as we gather and we come to the sacredness of this time of prayer. Loving God, we do count it a privilege to come before you in the sacredness and the intimacy of this moment, to call upon you and to listen as you call upon us. The majesty, the expanse of love, the power, the tenderness, of your compassion are all present in this moment. And for that, we are joyfully thankful, for we are in this moment as well. We come, dear God, now, knowing that even as we seek your face and you speak to our hearts, there's much left for us to do and as frail as we sometimes feel that we are, we call upon you to strengthen us for the tasks that lie ahead and that we are in the midst of even now. Help us to pray for one another, for strength and for encouragement as our paths unfold. We're thankful this morning that we can be a community gathered together strengthened again by the way in which you speak to all of us, but the ways in which you speak to each of us. Tune our hearts and our ears that we might be still and know that indeed you are God. We bring before you now the prayers that rest upon our hearts. We thank you, dear God, yes, that in this past week we have seen families reunited, but our hearts are still broken that they were rend, uh, rented asunder in the first place. And we ask, dear God, for the deep and enduring systemic wrongs that are the source for this discord to be made right and give us the strength and the power to speak truth to power and to never waver in the cause for what is right and just. And even though families have been reunited, we know that there are still wounds that must heal, there are still traumas that must receive succor. So we'd ask, oh God, that you help us to be a part of that as well. To bring hope and healing where there has been hurt and harm. We're thankful that we can be as a church family gathered in prayer for one another. We are 
prayerful and trusting that as this new chapter unfolds for Hershey and Rob that you will yet speak to them as you have always spoken to them and abide with them in a never failing way. We are thankful for Jackie's voice echoing throughout North Carolina this morning as she speaks at the Wild Goose Festival, speaking and, and engaging and engendering fervor and excitement in the hearts of those who are in that place. So wherever we are, whatever we are doing, we ask that you would abide with us, that we might be your people, for indeed you are our God. These things we ask, knowing because of your mercy and your grace, you hear us and you meet us where we are. In your name we pray. Amen. We invite you, if you're able, to stand and if you're comfortable with joining hands, we invite you to do so and share in the Lord's Prayer and it is printed here in a fashion that we use on a regular basis here at Middle, but we invite you to share in the Lord's Prayer in whatever way, in whatever tradition uh, has, has familiarity to you. Ever loving and holy God, hallowed be your name. Your reign come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Lord is the reign, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The peace of God be with you. Won't you greet one another on this glorious Lord's Day morning?
Amen. Um, I have the great honor to have my parents here with me today. So uh, please hear a, a word from God from uh, two of my heroes, Jane and Chad Stevens. We're thrilled to be here and jealous that Rob gets to be here every week. <laughs> I'm reading from the Gospel of Mark, the sixth chapter, and the, the portion that I'm reading comes after a, a busy season uh, in which Jesus and the disciples were doing all kinds of uh, amazing miracles and healings and casting out demons. And of course, the king heard of it. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer had been raised, has been raised from the dead, and for this reason the powers are at work in him. But others said, it's Elijah. And others said, it's a prophet, like one of the old prophets. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, who I have beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of Herod's brother Philip, whom Herod had married. Herod had married his wife, his brother's wife, and he fears uh, John's truth on that account. For John had been telling Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing he was a righteous man and a holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard John, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? She replied, the head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved Yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Let the church say amen. amen. Thank you, Mom and Dad. You can, you can see uh, where I get my height and where I get my love for stories. Please pray with me. Our loving creator, God, we are thankful to be in your presence this morning. We ask that you open our hearts so that the movement of your spirit 
can take place. Open our eyes to your work that's happening right now, right here within us and all around us. Now may the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, who is our rock, our liberator, and our redeemer. Amen. And so today's scripture brings us the story of the beheading of John the Baptist. Just the type of pick-me-up y'all were looking for, right? (laughs) But besides the gruesome details that Mark uh, chooses not to spare us from, this is an objectively great story. It has all the elements of a drama. It has the ominous beginning of a king hearing about a new prophet stirring up trouble. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. It's got mystery. No one seems to know who this new prophet, this new character is. Whether he's just another prophet like one of the old prophets, or if he's Elijah come back, which means uh, trouble for those in power, especially because when Elijah comes back, that means God is coming soon and with the winnowing fork and uh, lots of other uh, uh, tough things. Or is it, as Herod believes, maybe his conscience coming up on him, that it's John the Baptist come back to life? And if you're reading Mark just straight through, uh, you would do a double take at this point because uh, we didn't know John the Baptist was dead, much less that he had been brought back to life. Uh, From the jump of Mark, we find out that he had been arrested, uh, but we didn't know anything about the circumstances. And so at the first three, uh, three verses, guessing about who this new prophet is and what it means, we get the backstory on how John the Baptist was killed. The scripture says he's King Herod, uh, but that's actually giving him a little more credit than he deserves. This is actually Herod Jr., son of King Herod, who we talk about at Christmas time. That King Herod died in 4 BC, the same year that Jesus was born. They got the count off a little bit, uh, four years before uh, was where we think uh, Jesus was actually born, when? But when Herod Sr. died, his kingdom was in, uh, was in a, tumult, a tumultuous time, and they split up the kingdom into three ch- tetrarchs. So he's one of the tetrarchs uh, of Galilee and uh, Perea. But anyway, we have Herod Jr., who left his first wife for Herodias, who also happened to be his brother's wife. Uh, so I told you, it's got, it's got some gushy details. John the Baptist makes uh, Herodias angry by calling out Herod for this uh, break of uh, Jewish law and custom and also just a uh, break of common decency. You don't, shouldn't take your brother's wife. Uh, but fast forward to the rewind to a part of uh, where Herod is throwing this party. Herod Antipas is throwing a party trying to impress the leading figures in Galilee uh, and his new wife's daughter does a dance you know, somehow pleases Herod, which is weird uh, and a strange thing that somehow in a weird sensual kind of pleasure for Herod is this daughter, stepdaughter, who also might be called Herodias Jr. or something. Uh, but anyway, the daughter uh, goes back to her mother for advice. And of course, Herodias Sr. instructs her daughter to ask for the head of the prophet who had been insulting her. Uh, 
see Sierra's giving me a confused look. I know, it's got a lot of twists and turns in this story. And now the story appears uh, at this point to make Herod look like he is begrudgingly killing John the Baptist. The, script, the scripture takes time to mention that even though he didn't understand much of what John was saying, he enjoyed listening to him. I uh, considered titling this sermon, actually, that even when the oppressor says they like you, it doesn't mean they won't cut your head off. <laughs> it was a little too long for the byline, I think. Uh, but being the good husband and stepfather that uh, Herod was, uh, and not wanting to be embarrassed in front of the wealthy and powerful friends, Herod obliged and had John's head delivered to Herodias on a platter. John's disciples came and take his body for burial. And shortly after that, uh, Mark jumps right back into Jesus' ministry, the feeding of the 5,000. So this is the text for us this morning, the good news for us this morning. And if you will pray for me as uh, I try to uh, see where God is talking to us in this time, in this place. Background on this text, as uh, my mom uh, alluded already, that it is plopped in the middle of Jesus' growing ministry. Right before this, you see Jesus has gone to Nazareth and been rejected, but his ministry is growing anyway. Uh, he's sending his disciples out. Uh, he's franchising his ministry. People are doing it for him uh, in other places, and is really growing. And on the other end is this feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on water. Uh, so he's got a lot going for him at this stage of Mark. And it's, it's, it's an interesting uh, story because it takes place in all three of the synoptic uh, Gospels, Ma Mark, Matthew, and Luke. And even though Mark is the oldest Gospel we know and is usually the most uh, concise and to the point and doesn't flower things up, uh, this is actually the longest version of the story. So for some reason, Mark decides to spend 15 verses explaining this beheading. And it's one of the stories in the Gospels that we also have uh, an outside uh, source, uh, an outside source in his uh, by the historian Josephus, who is a Roman uh, Jewish citizen who was writing the history of the times and also happens to mention this story of, Jesus being, of, of John the Baptist being killed. And John the Baptist was, a, you know, indisputably a righteous guy. He says, uh, Josephus, the historian says about John, now many came, people came in crowds to him, for they were greatly moved by his words. Herod, who feared that the great influence John had over the masses might put them into his power and enable him to raise the rebellion, for they seemed ready to do anything that he should advise, thought it best to put him to death. In this way, he might prevent any mischief John might cause and not bring himself into difficulties by sparing a man who might make him repent of it when it would be too late. So from the scripture and from uh, the history of Josephus, we have at least three things that I think we can learn uh, from John and about John. And three things that we share in common with John the Baptist. The first is that we were all born with this gift called life and with a mission in life, a destiny, something that we were put here to do. And as we know, destinies are funny things and they change and morph, uh, it seems like, each day. But we've given something to do here on this earth. 
And like John, we're all going to die as well, uh, if you haven't figured that part out. And for those who have seen Coco, who's seen Coco? Uh, you're going to die twice, actually. You're going to die uh, when the last person forgets you. That's really creative. I love that beautiful, colorful image of heaven in that uh, movie. And then third, that we work not knowing how it's going to end. John the Baptist's ministry is all about making the way plain, opening the highway for God's work to happen. And that we are called to work in that same way, thinking about who's next, who's coming after us, how can we make it better for them. And so those th three things are certain in our life. We're going to die one day, and while we're here, we have a mission, we have a purpose called life and love that the Creator put us here for, and we won't see it completed in our time. And from the text, we also learn at least one thing about Herod and from Herod, that all too often matters of life and death are at the whims of those in power. Whimsical decisions of people in power can mean life or death for others. It's a twisted morality where when you get into that place of power that your reputation and your ego becomes more important than people's lives. And even when leaders want to do right, often the climb towards power requires compromises that chain them or chain us to that power. What it takes to gain the power of influence over others is the exact thing that will end up shackling those in power. It's what Niebuhr, uh, Reinhold Niebuhr talked about uh, over a half century ago after World War II, called the irony of American history. That America had grown uh, so powerful and had created this hydrogen bomb, an atomic bomb, that now is the most powerful uh, superpower in the world. But that power was actually the feeblest form of power because it depended on fear of a bomb. It didn't. It didn't depend on goodwill. It didn't depend on any love or uh, positive uh, relationships. All, they, all we had was the power of a bomb. And the fact that this text falls right in the middle of Jesus' growing ministry is powerful to me as we think about how uh, John the, the beheading of John the Baptist might speak to us today. So why would Mark spend so much time telling this story, this beheading story, when we have miracles to talk about? We have great victories for the people to talk about. And when I think about where we are right now, we have actually been living through some amazing years and times. Might not feel like it all the time. But we've seen mass movements move across this country that we shouldn't take for granted. We saw Occupy and anti-globalization movements that opened our eyes that another world is possible. The powerful and incredible creativity of Black Lives Matter that has changed this nation completely, the power of the dreamers, the fact that marriage equality has come, it seemed like it really wouldn't have happened in my lifetime. And then overnight, it almost, it's here in reality. Me Too, the Me Too movement has changed things. There will be more people safe, more women and men safe from harassment, even as we know it still is endemic to our society. Fight for 15 is the uh, union movement, most exciting part of the labor movement that has probably happened since the 60s and 70s. If you can imagine that it's fight for 15 in a union is the fast food workers, but if they actually got a union, overnight they would be the largest union 
in many states. So you would have uh, low-income, working-class-led unions that would be the most powerful unions. Can you imagine that? If it happened overnight, if we got if McDonald's, Wendy's, Burger King, just those three were unionized. And so we have these exciting things, just like when Jesus' movement was building. But at the same time, we know that on Friday we marked the fifth year anniversary of the Zimmerman verdict. For many, you'll remember where you were, or who you were with when the non-guilty uh, judgment came down for George Zimmerman and the murder of Trayvon Martin. It was like a gut punch that they couldn't even get him with manslaughter after he chased down a 17-year-old kid and shot him. Four years ago, we had Eric Garner here in New York City. Seems every summer there's something that happens that shocks and disturbs us. In August, it'll be four years since Mike Brown. Three summers ago, it was Mother Emanuel in Charleston, Sandra Bland in Texas. Two years ago, it was the Pulse nightclub in Orlando on June 12th, the anniversary of the assassination of Medgar Evers in Mississippi over 50 years before. A month later, we saw Philando Castile and Alton Sterling murdered by the police within 24 hours. Both of these situations were recorded. We heard recordings of how it was perpetuated and no one lost their job. No one has been put in jail. You look around the world, you see things in Brazil even where uh, an exciting young Afro-Brazilian leader, Mario Franco, was assassinated just this year. Palestinians being snipered, sniped by soldiers, activists. We have Las Vegas this year, Parkland. Just last week, we see attacks on the rights of same-gender-loving couples to adopt. And of course, we see children locked up and separated from their parents. And whenever you hear it, people say that this is not us, that we're better than this, you have to question them. Separating families to steal from Rat Brown is as American as apple pie, cherry pie. That this is who we are. This has been a part of our history. It's true our world, that in our world, God's world and our lives are looking pretty grim at this time full of suffering, and that's why I think the John the Baptist story is for us today. It's a story that shows God moving even in the midst of unspeakable terror and hate and murder. That God is moving and active in every age and is today all around us. And I believe that, that even while it seems we sit in the midst of the shadow of evil, that God is with us. And I found as we were away, I was able to read uh, John Dominic Crossan's book, uh, God and Empire, which helped me think about this uh, story. 
Uh, I think there's at least two things that can be useful from uh, his work that compared the Roman Empire to the American Empire today and that the resistance that happened through Jesus and others in the Roman Empire and how that could be applied to today. The first point that uh, Crossan makes is that this is a turning point for Jesus, the, the beheading of John the Baptist, that uh, they, there's two traditions that go throughout the Bible. Uh, the first tradition being the Noah tradition. It's that you uh, save the just ones and destroy the rest. Uh, that the, the condemnation of God, the judgment of God is to uh, rid the world of all those who are sinners and start over. Uh, and then shortly after that, uh, don't work out so well, uh, we have the Abrahamic tradition where you save the just ones who are called to, who are chosen to choose others. Uh, we get that confused, that chosen people are uh, chosen because others are not chosen. But you get chosen by God so that you can choose others. And just because you're chosen doesn't mean that everyone else isn't chosen too. And so the just ones, the few for the many, to save the many, to bring the, the many into God's kingdom here on earth. So these are the two traditions, and, and John Dominic Crossland says that John the Baptist represents more of that first tradition. You know, make way uh, for the Lord, uh, for the winnowing fork, for the chef that's going to uh, clear out the evildoers. It's an apocalyptic uh, use that gets uh, as far as that God's going to start over the world. You know, that God is tired of all these sinners and is just going to start over. Uh, moving towards an Abrahamic tradition of, that, uh, of saving the world and that we are in it right now. Uh, it's the same difference between imminence and presence. So the imminence is John the Baptist saying, God is coming, God is coming, he's going to save it, he's going to fix it. Uh, the, they say that it's uh, the great cosmic cleanup of God. But after the tragedy of John the Baptist, we see Jesus focusing more and more on the presence of God. That God has to be in the midst. If we're going to build a movement, if we're going to be God's people, we have to see God working right now. And yes, there are times for, the, for that first tradition of calling out uh, empire, of saying that it might implode. Indeed, Dr. King's final sermon, he called Coretta Scott King in his last week before he died and said that his sermon at Ebenezer was going to be, America may go to hell. There's times to call uh, in this tradition that the larger they get, the harder they fall, that this nation must be reminded that empires just like troubles don't last always. But the problem with that tradition of Noah is that God tried it, and it didn't work out that well. They, they tried to start over, get rid of everyone, and within a couple years, they were sinning again and uncovering each other's nakedness, uh, whatever that means. And, uh, and we also know that if we start getting rid of all the sinners, we'd be really lonely. Um, <laughs> and probably wouldn't be here ourselves. <laughs> so these two traditions that uh, we're called to, that first the, about the eminence of God, proclaiming that God is coming, but actually God is right here with us right now. If we live into that understanding that we are not waiting on God, but that God is waiting on us, knowing that despite how it seems God is working in the midst right now, then we'll have a reorientation towards the evils and the problems that we see. Crossing calls this collaborative eschatology. There's a fun word. 
Eschatology, all it means is uh, words about the last things, the, the final days, the ultimate meaning, the end times, otherwise. A collaborative eschatology is what we sang about this morning, wade in the water. Wade in the water. What do you do? What's going to happen when you wade in the water? God's going to trouble the water. It's collaborative. It's hand in hand. It's not one or the other. It's putting these two things that seem to be contradicting an all-powerful, all-loving God and human action and agency together. No better way than the spiritual could. That wasn't in the script, so I got a little offside here. Uh, and also when we see, start to face these things that seem intractable, crossing calls us to see about a distinction between illness and disease. I asked my dad, who's a doctor, that if this has any medical uh, relevancy, and he said, not really, but it's a great uh, you know, metaphor, uh, that the disease is the source of the pain. The disease is where the pain comes from, where the suffering comes from, and the illness is the social, communal, uh, psychological impact of the pain that we see happening all around it. And when we see things that seem intractable and unredeemable, uh, when you think about those kids at the border who have had irreparable harm done to them, they won't get those, that time back. Their development, the trauma that will be in that uh, separation, you can't fix. Or you think about how deep and pervasive racism and patriarchy and class structures are in this country every time you think you've gotten around it, even in interpersonal relationships. There it is, again. Or now we see the Russians, I try not to think about them too much, but they're not only stealing emails, but they are in our actual electoral computer systems in states like Florida. It might be helpful at times like this to start thinking about diseases and illnesses because sometimes the disease is not going to get cured. And we still have to do the work of healing. And that's what Jesus' ministry, pivoting after John the Baptist, is headed towards. And we know that this can work because we do it here every week at Middle. That's what the church is. And that's what this movement is. That you can heal evil even while the scourge is there. The American disease of racism, we think and hope and pray that we can find a cure for patriarchy, for sexism. We just shout that maybe the orange man in D.C. will be pushed out and all of his supporters, and then there won't be any more racism. But we know, uh, regardless of what party is in there, we would need to be fighting. We know that when we come here each Sunday, we don't think we're going to fix it once and for all. We come to this place, to middle each and every Sunday, not because we think we can do that, because week in and week out, it is here that we experience healing for ourselves and our families and communities. We pray and sing praises to God and we begin to imagine a different reality. We come to get a glimpse of God's wonderful dream and once you have a glimpse of God's wonderful dream, it's hard to let it go. In this place where young people's neurons are being oriented towards a different type of world, where our elders are on new adventures, 
where white people can start to construct a more humane and human identity that isn't based in our power or the false ideology and theology of white supremacy, where people of color and everyone can come and be their distinct and unique self, where Kaede can sing from Japan, can sing Louis Armstrong and make it her own and make love out of that connection across time and space and culture. We do that here. We practice that here each Sunday so that we can be healed even as we know that this work won't be done in our lifetimes. Each of us is a seemingly, like John the Baptist, randomly plopped down in history. We wonder why this time for me, God. Randomly plopped down in this epic narrative of God's love and God's salvific work in the world. And yet God has entrusted us each with this gift. We each have been given the opportunity to make the way plain for God in the entire world. Yes, we die and we won't see the end of the work ourselves, but we have been given a gift called life. And God is waiting on us to live it more fully. God is waiting us to find resurrection, to be realized, to turn those things that are upside down, right side up, to mend what has been broken, set at liberty those who are held captive in the world. Yes, God is moving and active in every age, and today is all around us. God is waiting on us to find the joy in the everydayness, even as the shadows persist. Amen. Yeah. Uh, good afternoon, Middle. Yeah. Uh, first of all, let's all of us give Rob another hand for that incredible, moving sermon. Thank you so much. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Darren Johnston. I'm a deacon here at Middle Collegiate Church. And these are hard times. And in these times, it can feel hard to do the work that God has called us to do. I mean, we're not personally getting beheaded or anything, but it's rough out there. So what do we do? How do we stay buoyant and open and able to love? Every morning when I wake up, I say, or I try to say, a simple two-word prayer. Thank you. It's so easy with the deluge of information about everyone and everyone's opinion everywhere in the world to think, I don't have enough. I don't have enough tools or resources to help those who need help or to fix what needs to be fixed. But thank you. Thank you, God. I woke up. I have a roof over my head. I have food to eat water to drink, coffee to fuel me. I'm going to give a double thank you for that. <laughs> I am loved and beloved by you, God, by my beautiful partner, by my family from the jump, and the cornucopia of friends I have collected along the way, so many of them right here in this room. Thank you. Thank you for Middle Collegiate Church. Thank you for this beloved community. Thank you for Rob's incredible leadership in our justice work. Thank you, I mean, thank you for Jackie's public theology that gives us a roadmap for how we can heal our souls and heal the world. Thank you for the children up there who every week teach me about possibility, 
for this off-the-chain music every Sunday that also fills my sails. Thank you for everyone who danced down Fifth Avenue, for those of you layperson and clergy alike who shut down highways in the face of racist violence. Thank you for the folks feeding other folks with butterfly. And thank you for each and every single one of you who give a kind hello, who give each other a hug, who check in on each other, someone with tears in their eyes, be it from joy or sadness. And the more that I say thank you, the more that gratitude fills my sails, my focus shifts, and I realize that I'm not living in a place of scarcity. God has given me enough, has given all of us enough to do what needs to be done, to do what she has called us to do. So as we pass the baskets around, I ask that you also give generously because we are this beloved community and we have enough to do what needs to be done, each in our own ways. Give your time to one of our ministries. Give your talent to something like the gospel choir or teaching our young folks about some visual art. And give your treasure. Tithe. In whatever way you can, given your own financial circumstances. Middle is a necessary force. It costs money to do all that I'm thankful for, that we're all thankful for. It costs us about $725,000 in the next year, to be specific. And we each, in our individual ways, have been given enough and can, must take care of our home. This house of God and love here in this world. Thank you all. This is the sound. 
ever-loving and holy God, thank you for these generous gifts from this, from this beloved community. And we pray that you will guide us as we use these gifts to grapple with the disease, illness paradigm and do the work that you have called us to do in the world. Thank you, in your name we pray, amen.
So, uh, one of the great privileges of working at Mill is I get to hear about y'all a lot. Uh, and I get to watch interns and so forth come through here and experience it for the first time. And I can tell you that there is healing that happens when you walk through the doors. Uh, Hershey went, went, went up to Standing Rock for the big protest and came back and told me that she met three women of color who decided to, uh, to pursue ordination and clergy uh, and to become clergy in the church because they came to Middle and saw what the possibilities of God's work could be in the world. You can come and see yourselves in this. But if we rest on our laurels, we get in trouble. And if we have collaborative eschatology, we also need uh, collaborative ecclesiology. And ecclesiology, all that means is assembly. They call it church in the Bible, is that we need everyone in. How many of y'all have been inspired or loved by an usher when you walked through the door before? By Lila or Diane or Kaede or any of the others? Well, we need you back there as well. We've had some Sundays where we have to scrap for ushers because, I don't know, we sometimes uh, lose that energy. So I hope that afterwards or later this week you'll come and find Christina or Diane or an usher to sign up to become an usher as well. What more powerful way of spreading God's love. How many of y'all have been fed in the middle before by brunch by uh, Gloria or Philistine or Jules? Well, we need people there as well. Uh, I know y'all showed up big the other week uh, for the protest, and uh, usually I'm out here asking you to come to a, a protest, uh, but we also need to continue to feed this place so that the creative energy of what's next can come out. We don't know what's next, and we need you to be here for it. So receive now a benediction. Oh, holy, loving God, we give you thanks for this place and our mission called love. Please dismiss us now from here but please never ever from your presence. Let us go now, doing your work as your hands and feet in the world. Amen.